All right, just very quickly, because I think it's important for those who have not maybe not had the opportunity to be here for these other classes, just, just for the sake of someone who maybe has not been here for the other classes, um, somebody give me kind of a brief, brief synopsis of the book of Philemon. It's a book that people really aren't familiar with because not many people study it because it's just too short. Yes, Jeremy, I saw your hand slowly rising. All right, that's a pretty good synopsis. The book of Philemon is written to Philemon, who is uh, the slaveholder of a slave by the name of Onesimus, who ran away and somehow or another found his way into Rome, came in contact with Paul, became a Christian, and now wants to make things right, and therefore he is being sent back to Philemon along with this letter, uh, Paul explaining what is going on, and of course hoping that uh, Philemon will react in a certain kind of way. One question that, that we always wonder about when it comes to the book of Philemon is, why is the book of Philemon in our Bibles? I mean, why do we need a book about a slave that ran away written to a man who had slaves? Why do we even need this book in here? And what's interesting is it's the only letter in the entire New Testament that was written to a individual as a personal letter. I know we have letters that are addressed. Yes, Glenn. All the same. Very good. Um, anything else we can... Yeah, I saw Julie's hand and then you, Jamie. All right, so it's about personal relationships and how Christians should treat other people. What were you going to say, Jamie? Um, some of you remember um, a show that was on several years ago called Heroes, and they had a mantra, um, save the cheerleader, save the world, or something like that. Well, you want to save the, you want to save the world... Spread the gospel. That's what really changes. Michael then, Jeff, and then Glenn. All right, very good. And it's interesting, Philemon is one of those books there's never been any dispute from the earliest canon of the first century. Philemon has been a part of it. So they understood that it should be part of God's book. Very good. This book is about receiving grace and extending grace. And... Um, as I told you a while back, Martin Luther, the great reformer, preached a sermon, and the basis of his sermon from this book is that we are all Onesimuses. Uh, we all find ourselves as being Onesimus from time to time, but we could add we also find ourselves as being uh, Philemon. So this is a, a, a book about forgiveness, and it's a book about extending forgiveness. And so a lot of good reasons to study this little short book. Any, uh, Glenn, did we ever get back? To, what, do you have something else you want to say? I don't think I ever got to you. All right. Very good. Very good. Anything else? I don't want to leave anybody out. Appreciate your comments always. Well, the last couple lessons we have plowed through this book, and uh, we have gotten actually now to verse 8. So we've begun the first seven verses, and basically what we have seen in the first seven verses is Paul talking to Philemon. And um, he, he's doing something uh, that is very obvious to us. It might not be obvious to Philemon as he's reading this letter at first. But what is he doing to Philemon? What would you say? Buttering up. Buttering up. Well, I mean, that kind of oversimplifies it, but that's kind of like what, he, what he's doing. Um, Paul is really letting Philemon know, first of all, how much he has loved and how much he has shown love. Uh, he basically talks about what a wonderful person he is and talks about his Christianity and talks about 
how that there are people who are affected by him because of his Christianity. Um, verse 7, which ties into what we're going to be reading in just a moment. What are you going to say, Jeff? Yeah, we do. And um, it's, it's funny, sometimes the people we hurt the most and treat the worst are the ones that are closest to us. And sometimes the ones that treat us the worst and hurt us the most are the ones that are closest to us. And so we do need a reminder. And um, as all of you have said, um, Paul is not addressing the point of the letter yet. Uh, He could come right out in the first couple of verses and say, listen, Onesimus is a Christian now. You take him back or you're a bad person. But instead, as he oftentimes is the case, and this is a good practice of communication when we need to discuss something with someone, instead of attacking them for where they are wrong or making a correction that needs to be corrected, first thing that needs to be done, you need to talk about all their good qualities. That kind of softens the blow of what's about to come. And Paul was a master at that, but he's really shown being a master in this little uh, book that we have before us. But before we can look at verse 8, we need to look at verse 7 because verse 8 begins with the word wherefore in the King James. Some translations have the word therefore. But it points back to verse 7. And verse 7 says, For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Um, Because of Philemon and who he was, Because of the way that he treated other Christians. Uh, There are people who, when they come in contact with Philemon, they have great joy. They have great lifting of the spirit. As verse 7 talks about consolation, that's the lifting of the spirit. And uh, from deep down inside, they are revived because Philemon is their Christian brother. So with those last words, now he moves into the whole point of the letter. And he says, therefore... Though I might be bold in Christ to enjoy in thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. He finally gets to the subject of his letter. And I can imagine Philemon reading this letter, and, and, he, and he says, um, how that I'm, Paul's writing to me, and he talks about how I'm beloved. That's good stuff. He talks about my family and how much he appreciates them. That's good stuff. He talks about uh, how that he's heard about my love and how that, <coughs> excuse me, how he's thanking for God of me in his prayers all the time. He's talking about how the people in the church just think I'm the best thing since sliced bread. And now... He's going to have his eyes open just a little bit because he's getting to what the point of the subject is. Well, look at verse 8. After saying, Wherefore, though I might be bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Now, that's kind of choppy and kind of hard to understand in the King James. But basically, what is Paul saying in this verse? Who can help me with it? All right. He's basically saying, Listen. I can give you an order if I want to. I could command you to do this. Um, He's talking about his apostolic authority. Um, He could maybe be telling him that he could order him to do this just out of um, an older Christian talking to a younger man. Uh, 
just simply as one Christian talking to another Christian. But he says, because of your love and the joy that you bring to so many Christians, I could do it this way. I could be much bold to command you, the word enjoy is command, to that which is convenient. Who has something different for convenient? What you got? Oh, go ahead, Beverly. Okay, very good. Um, That's added quite a bit there to to help explain it. Uh, Michael, what do you want to say? Okay, convenient, fitting. Um, Literally, convenient here in the Greek is the idea of it's the right thing to do. What is the right thing to do, Philemon? I could command you to do this, but I want you to do it because it's the right thing to do. Uh, Sometimes in life we need to do something for no other reason other than it's the right thing to do. And um, I think it's interesting that he, in verse 8, uses the word in Christ. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ. Now, really, the theme of the whole letter is the point of being in Christ. Being in Christ, of course, is the new reality that that Paul wants Philemon to think about. If a person's in Christ, if your relationship is in Christ, then that changes everything. As Philemon is going to discover in just a moment, Onesimus is not the same person anymore. He is still a slave. He still is owned by Philemon. But now that they both are in Christ, then the reality has changed now from what it used to be. Uh, You remember how um, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26 says that for we are all children of God uh, in Christ Jesus. For as many of us who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor nor, uh, free, neither male nor female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. And so I don't think Paul is accidental in saying uh, in Christ he's trying to get Philemon again in that mindset that things are different now because he is in Christ. But then he goes on to verse 18 and says, I mean verse 9 and says, Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. What does it mean yet for love's sake? When you do something for love's sake, what does that mean? Nothing, not a trick question here. It's pretty obvious. Yes, Julie. All right. You're, you're doing it out of love. You're not doing it out of duty. You're not doing it out of necessity. You're doing it just simply because of love. And so Paul is making a, a contrast here. He says, I could command you to do this, but that won't work out the way that we want things to work out because you'll, re, you'll resent it like you wouldn't believe. I could tell you to do this because if you don't, people think you're a bad person and therefore you'll do it uh, just so you'll look good to people. But that's not the motivation that's going to keep their relationship right. Paul could say, well, if you don't do this, then you're going to spend eternity in hell because you're sinning. Yet still, that's not the motivation. The motivation should be because of love. Yes, Michael? It is a command, but when you get down to verse 14, you'll discover that he had free will in this. He could refuse what's going to Absolutely, absolutely. Well, we'll, let's, we'll talk about that in just one second. We'll hold that thought, but I think Glenn has something he wants to say. 
It's, it's agape love. Yeah, it's agape. Yeah, sure. Right, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's go back and explore what Michael was saying about the command. Uh, yes, there's a command there, but yet even commands need to be obeyed without, uh, with love. For example, there are a lot of Christians today who are very miserable being a Christian. The reason why they're miserable being a Christian is because everything they do, they do out of a sense of duty. Everything they do, they do because, well, I may really not want to do this, but I'd rather, not, I'd rather do this than spend eternity in the bad place, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to put in my hour on Sunday morning. I'm going to um, give something because I've got to give something. I'm going to be nice because I've got to be nice, and it's all done because I've got a checklist here, and I've got to check it off because it's been commanded, and I better do what's commanded. That's the most miserable way to live Christianity. Christianity should be done out of love. That's your motivation. That's the thing that pushes you. That's where joy comes in worship, not because, well, it's time for church. I better be there. No, it's time for church. I want to be there because I love the Lord. He has been so good to me, and I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I love praising God instead of the fact that I've just got to do this because, well, if I don't, people are going to talk bad about me. You know, the preacher might call me and say, where have you been? Or, you know, I don't want to, um, to go to the bad place. I mean, I, I guess I want to go to heaven, but I want to go to hell. Yes, Paul could command him, and in a sense, there maybe there is a command that's hanging in the back of uh, Philemon's mind, but the whole idea that Paul wants Philemon to do this is not do it out of a sense of duty. Not even since do it out of a sense of a command, but do it genuinely out of love. And I hope that explains that a little bit better. Uh, yes, ma'am. Absolutely. And that's called what kind of rule? The golden rule, because it's golden. All right. Chris, did you have something you want to say, or are you just winking at me? Oh, you just had your hand up for a second? Okay. Beverly? Oh, you have something to say. Okay. Oh, you were scratching here. Okay. Yes, Beverly. Absolutely. Love is the basis of, of our entire religion. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We love God not because we loved him first, but he first loved us. And so uh, this whole thing is based upon love. And, and so he says, for love's sake, I'd rather beseech thee being... A, a, a one as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. What has Paul done once again here? As he's trying to get to Philemon and make him, help him make the right decision, what has he interjected once again? All right. First of all, he's trying to get some sympathy um, uh, in Philemon's mind when you think about the fact that he refers to himself as Paul the aged. Some translations say, Paul, I am an old man here. Now, what's interesting is you'll find a couple of, of translations, like the Revised Standard Version, and I can't remember the others now, that have instead of the word aged or old man here, they have one of Roger's favorite words here, ambassador. And ambassador and aged are really two different words, aren't they? The reason being, there are some manuscripts that because of one letter difference, have a different word here. The word for aged or old man is uh, uh, prosbus, which is P-R-E-B-O-U-S, okay? 
That means old man or aged. The word for ambassador is P-R-E-B-E-O-U-S. So there's one letter difference. And what's funny, what's interesting is the word that we get for elders that we have in our church is prosbuteros, which is a form of this, talking about an aged man with leadership ability. Um, But here, because it fits the context, it's obvious that the word that was meant here was Paul the aged or Paul the old man, the first uh, version of the Greek word. Now, if you go back and look up this word in the Greek, it refers to men who are between the ages of 56 and 60 which would fit Paul's time frame. If you go back to when he was first introduced from the stoning of Stephen, he's probably around 30 years old at that time, and here it's been 30 years later, so Paul's probably close to 60. But what gets me is that they translate this word in the Greek as being an old man, and it's 56 to 60. That makes me an old man. (laughs) But Paul's trying to dig at Philemon here with the idea that, listen, I'm an old man. You need to listen to me. I'm a prisoner. Uh, I'm in chains. And I'm I'm in prison uh, not because of anything I did, but as the last part of the verse says, because of Jesus Christ I am in chains. And this is the third time that he's mentioned that he is a prisoner. And so um, he said, one last time, I I want you to look at me. I want you to think about my situation before I get to the real point of what I want you to talk about. And so, in verse 10, he finally gets to the whole subject of the letter. He says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Now, what's interesting, in the original language, in the Greek, the word Onesimus comes at the very end of the sentence. So he is leaving the the person he's talking about to the very end of the sentence before he gets to it. It's like he's building up. And so he says, he refers finally to Onesimus, and he refers to him as his son, and uh, says he is begotten in my bonds. So what does that mean? He's his son. Absolutely. In fact, he uses the word begotten there, like I gave birth to him. And the way that he gave birth to him, of course, is that he is the one that taught him the gospel, and then um, because of that, he was born again. Um, We as earthly parents are very, very excited when uh, we have a new child to come into our family. Uh, When um, because of the love of a mother and a father, uh, a baby is born, that's just a a, a great celebration in the family. Our granddaughter Annabelle had a birthday yesterday, and um, I can remember very vividly in my mind when she was born and being at the hospital, and I'm sure Jamie remembers it even more so, but, uh, but that's just such a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Well, Paul is making us think about the fact that the same thing happens when we spend the time to talk to someone about the gospel, and because of our talking to that person about the gospel, they are born again. We had a part in that, and it's like it's, we, we gave birth to that person in a sense, is what Paul is saying here. But he's wanting to make sure that Philemon understood that this slave, this runaway slave now, is my son. I think of him as being my son because I gave birth to him while I was in prison. And then he, verse 11, he says, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. What do you think he wants him to understand and appreciate here in verse 11? 
Yes, yeah. All right, very good. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he's basically telling Philemon now that Onesimus is a changed man. That's how the gospel works. Um, And what's really interesting to me, the point that he is making to Philemon here is that Onesimus was a slave before, but now he's going to be even a better slave. Is really what he's saying. In fact, he is making a play on words here with the word unprofitable and the word profitable. Remember, Onesimus' name literally means in the Greek, one who is profitable, one who is helpful. And so he was saying before, Onesimus was a useless person or unhelpful person, but now because he has been, been begotten in the gospel, he is now going to be a useful person to thee and also to me. Um, before he was a runaway slave and was good for nothing, but now that he is a Christian, he is good uh, for everything. And so in verse 12, he says, Whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, my own bowels. And um, it's interesting that in verse 12, the, the word sent again, does anybody have anything different there? Sending him back? Does anybody have like uh, up in the footnotes or anything? Sent up? Because that was changed to make it read a little bit better. But the idea, of course, is the idea that um, Onesimus is a slave. These are terms, that, these are words that are being used here in the Greek, that Onesimus is a slave. And um, when he says, whom I have sent again, it's the idea that I am appealing to a higher court. In other words, I've already made my judgment about Onesimus, but now you're going to have to make your judgment about Onesimus. So it's more than just simply saying I'm sending him back. I'm sending him back for your judgment. Uh, it's like Paul is saying, I'm appealing to a higher court. These are some legal terms dealing with runaway slaves. And, but he says, even as I send him back, uh, I want you to know how emotionally tied I am. It's like a part of me is going back with him is the idea of my own bowels. Now, one thing we need to consider with this relationship is uh, how Roman law looked at runaway slaves. When Onesimus came back to Philemon, there are a lot of different ways Philemon could react. He could put a collar around his neck. He could burn a F on his forehead for a fugitive. He could beat him half to death or... He could even kill him. And Roman law would allow him to do that. That's what happens with a Roman slave. And so Paul says, I'm sending him back, but I'm appealing to a higher court. On the surface, he's saying, I'm appealing to you because you're the one that has to make the decision on this. But also, if you think about it, he's taking it one step further. What's another higher court that he's appealing to this time? God. You know, what would, what would God want you to do in this particular situation? Uh, but he, he finishes verse 12 saying that when he goes back, and it's interesting, in the Greek, these words are all chopped up. And you really can't appreciate it here in the English, but those who understand and appreciate the Greek, Paul is an excellent writer. And he gets to this point in the verse, and you can, he, he's writing, everything's flowing, but when he gets to this part that's just translated into the King James, my own bowels, which doesn't sound right, 
all of a sudden his writing becomes very choppy and hard to understand. And so some scholars think that Paul got very, very emotional right here and, and kind of lost his train of thought and, and stopped the flow of what he was writing and just kind of st- st- uh, st- uh, statically uh, put in the words, my, he is such a part of my heart. And once again, turning it back on himself and letting uh, Philemon know uh, about the love that is involved here. In fact, he goes on in verse 13 and says, Whom I would have retained with me, in thy stead he might be ministered unto me in the bonds uh, of the gospel. Um, what does it mean, whom I would have retained with me? What do you mean retained with me? He wanted to keep him there. In fact, the um, Greek tense here is in the imperfect tense. And it carries with it the idea of of indecisiveness and how that Paul, evidently, there was a battle. He was torn about whether or not to even send Philemon back or not. So much did he love this man now, uh, uh, send Onesimus back to Philemon. So much did he love this uh, man now. So much was he a part of his life there in prison. So much was he a helpful person to him. He's saying, you know, I struggled whether or not to even send him back. Now, obviously, he had to send him back. That was Roman law, and Paul had no control about holding him there. But he's letting Philemon know that this man is a different kind of man. He is such a different kind of man. I wish he was with me all the time. Uh, I want you to understand and appreciate what a, what a great and wonderful man he has turned out, to, turned out to be. Now, one thing I want you to notice as we finish with verse 13, I want you to notice how beginning at verse 8, when he started... Uh, this plea to take Onesimus back. Notice how many times he uses the word I. Verse 8, he says, Though I might be much bold, yet for the love's sake I rather beseech thee. I beseech thee, whom I have begotten in my bonds, whom I have sent again, whom I would retain with me. Uh, He's trying to get Philemon to not only think about Onesimus, but think about Paul. Think about who is asking you to do this. The man who is your friend, your brother in Christ, the man who is in prison, the man who is old, the man who loves you, the man who said all these things about you. I am the one that's asking you to do this. And um, it's interesting how many times he uses that personal pronoun, I, there. But then in verse 14, he says this. But with but without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but of willingness, or willingly. Uh, what does he mean in verse 14? But without thy mind would I do nothing. And, and Philemon could have killed Onesimus, and nobody would have turned an eye toward him because it would be completely legal. Yes, Jeremy? Okay, very good. Literally in the Greek here is the idea, but without thy consent. I can't do this without your consent, so this would not be right for me to do. I could do this. I could hide Philemon, I mean, hide Onesimus. He's been such a help to me. I love him. I want him to stay, but I can't keep him without your consent. And so some people think that once this letter got to Philemon, there may have been a possibility that Onesimus could have came back. We don't have any record of it. But Paul's basically saying, I want him. I wish he was here with me, but he can't be here unless he has your consent. So he has to go back home, and he has to make everything right with you before he can do anything else. Is the idea. Mike, would you want to say something a minute ago? Absolutely. 
Um, it'd be just like um, uh, Scott's bad about this, about, about stealing a car, and he's hiding it in my garage, and I don't tell anybody about it because he, he gives me free oil changes or something, you know. Yes, Rodner. Absolutely. And you wonder, first of all, how much he stole, and you wonder how much of that money he, he has spent, and uh, how in the world can a runaway slave make up that money except for what? Working some more. And because that's the only way it's going to happen. So in some ways, if you know, you mentioned, some people mentioned at the beginning of this class that he may have been an indentured servant. Well, guess what? He might be more indentured now if that's what's going on here. Yes, Julie. All right. So look what he does in the latter part of the verse here. He says, I would not do this, of course, without your consent. But he goes on and says that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. He's going all the way back to verses 8 and 9 where he says, I could have done this by command, but I want you to do this out of love. I want this to be your decision. This is your free will decision based on love. So once again, he's emphasizing to Philemon, this is something you do not have to do. He says, not as it were of necessity. Uh, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm hoping you will do the right thing based on your free will, based on love. Now, the love, of course, that he's talking about here is Christian love. And Christian love should be based on the idea, and this is what Paul's trying to get Philemon to think about, is the fact that God has loved you so much that he has forgiven you. And because of that, you should love so much that you're willing to forgive others. And in this case, of course, uh, is uh, Onesimus. And I, when I was thinking about this, I thought about the fact that this is something that we all struggle with. Uh, we know that because we are Christians and God has forgiven us that we need to be uh, in the practice of forgiving others. When someone who is a Christian and they have heard us, or maybe they've done something wrong, and they ask God for forgiveness, we need to understand that God has forgiven them, and therefore we need to uh, forgive them. Of course, that's a very hard thing to do, because uh, we put conditions on our forgiveness, don't we? We decide if they're worthy enough to receive our forgiveness. Uh, We decide if they are really sincere in their forgiveness. Uh, We put conditions upon it. But that's not what um, Paul is wanting uh, Philemon to do here. He's wanting him to take Onesimus back and forgive him, whether or not he is worthy, whether or not he has done uh, uh, anything wrong to him. But the idea is that now he is a Christian. God has forgiven him, and therefore Philemon needs to forgive him. Any comments or questions on that? Yes? Yep. That guy that grew up in Marshville, he knew how to dig up bones in the backyard, and people, people know how to do that too. And one of our biggest problems we have is that we struggle with self-righteousness. Um, it's funny how somebody else's sins always looks worse than our sins, and how that uh, we sometimes can um, forgive maybe something that we have done ourselves, because we know God has forgiven us, but boy, if somebody else does something uh, that is sinful, then uh, I don't know if I can ever forgive that person or not, even if God has forgiven them. But think about, put yourself in Philemon's shoes now. because We're going to have to stop here because we're running out of time. But put yourself in Philemon's shoes now. Uh, 
Paul is writing him this letter. He's really not sure what the letter was about at the beginning. All he knew was that Paul heaped praise after praise upon him and reminded him what a a wonderful Christian he was and how that so many people have been affected by his love and so many people are filled with joy and refreshed and revived because of him. But listen, I'm going to tell you now about a new Christian. His name is Onesimus. I think you know him. He used to be one of your belongings, if you will. And now I'm sending him back to you. How are you going to react? I don't want you to take him back out of necessity. I want you to take him back willingly out of love. And so as you put yourself in Philemon's shoes, you can see how, how would you react. Just leave that thought in your mind. How would you react if the same thing happened to you or, for that matter, if somebody actually did something to you that... Um, maybe not a runaway slave, but treated you, took something of yours, or treated you ugly or whatnot, and somebody says, uh, uh, they've become a Christian now, and I want you to take them back. What kind of things would you be thinking about? And that's kind of where we need to leave Philemon right now, and we'll pick him, finish up this book, the Lord willing, uh, Wednesday night. But any closing comments or anything anybody like to say? All right. Thank you so much for your comments. They really add to the class.